Hello, you're listening to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, we've got a very topical episode today as we react to the news that the return of the Bundesliga is occurring very soon. Um, in fact, depending on when you're listening to this pod, uh, you may have already been treated to a Revier derby involving Erling Haaland, Jadon Sancho, Jean-Claude Tadibo and Rabi Matondo, to, to name but a few. Um, but of course, the, the big news is that regular football is making a comeback in Germany albeit behind closed doors and under stringent conditions that you know could change at any time. Um, for the time being, though, we'll be very grateful for some live football that isn't the Belarusian Premier League. I'm sure I speak for everyone there. But today's episode tackles which Bundesliga players aged 23 and under that you should be focusing your attention on when you're no doubt salivating at the prospect of uh, Freiburg versus Paderborn in the weeks to come. As ever, I'm Joe Donoghue, your scouted football host, and today I'm, I'm alongside Ronan Murphy, not literally, don't worry, um, who makes his second appearance on our podcast. Uh, it's a fair to say that his debut went down a treat as we discussed all things Irish football, um, but he's back today. Uh, Ronan is a football journalist for Goal and in particular specialises in the matters of the Bundesliga, hence why we've given him the call up again today. Um, Ronan, how, how are things at your end and what are your thoughts on the imminent Bundesliga restart? Yeah, so it's good to be back on the podcast and it's it's uh, something different for me to taking off the Irish jersey and putting on the Germany jersey. So um, people at home in Ireland might be might be thinking I'm turning me back on Ireland a bit like uh, Jack Grealish and Declan Rice and these types. But I can assure you that the passion for Ireland and kissing the crest is still there. So I'm just excited to see a bit of live football and a bit of German football. And, and I know we've been able to watch Belarus football and Korean football, but it's just not to the same standard as as German football is not a top five European league, it's just good to have quality players playing and a bit of distraction from being stuck in the house all day. Um, Ronan, lots of people have been debating which Bundesliga side to support and some of whom have used that flowchart that has been floating about on, on social media. Um, first of all, this might be blowing your cover a little bit. You said that you've been putting the Germany jersey on there, um, but do you have a soft spot for any Bundesliga side in particular? I don't actually, and um, probably makes it easier for me to report on it because I don't have the, the same bias. So I, I, I will treat Bayern Munich as equally as I will treat Freiburg, say, because I, I don't support any of them. So it's just something that I was interested in. And probably because the two League of Ireland teams that I supported growing up, Kilkenny City first and then Clare County went bust, I always found it I found it hard then to, to attach myself to a club after that. So I don't want any other teams going bust. So I don't end up, end up supporting anyone, just Ireland. I suppose at times that brings enough disappointment as it is. Um, what what would your advice be to someone who hasn't got a Bundesliga team or or hasn't watched very much of the league before? Um, you know, who are we avoiding? Who are we staying glued to the TV to watch? Sort of thing. Yeah, so there's a, a few kind of attacking teams. There's at one end of the table, Bayer Leverkusen. They're very attacking and they're doing quite well at the moment under Peter Bosch. And at the other end of the table, in last place, are Paderborn, who are also very attacking and very exciting. It depends whether you like winning or losing. There'll be two teams maybe to keep an eye out for. There's maybe maybe teams to avoid are, are the teams clo- closer to the relegation, maybe Mainz, maybe Augsburg, teams like that that don't really pull up trees and they're not not all that exciting this season. So if you're, if you're going to look for a team to support, maybe just watch the first weekend of football. Um, at the time of recording, I'm looking at the Bundesliga table, um, 25 games played for, for most of the sides um, with nine remaining. Um, eight points separate the top five, which is a bit of a different story to the likes of Ligue 1 or, or even the Premier League. Um, it's all getting a little bit congested and crowded up in there, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. I think this season is maybe more exciting than previous seasons. There was a bit of a title race last season, of course, with Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, but 
there's even kind of a three-way tie or a three-way title race this season, only five points between the top three, with RB Leipzig also in the mix. And I think, and a lot of people obviously thought that Bayern Munich, once they got Hansi Flick and they appointed him permanently, that they would just go on to win the league. But I think because of the way that football has come back now, it's kind of hard to predict that, that a form counts for anything because there's not going to be fans there. And it's just going to be kind of a new environment for players with no fans and playing kind of essentially training games in, in a huge stadium. Um, are there any of those sides up there who, who you've been surprised by? You mentioned there that it's sort of a three-way at the top with uh, Bayern, Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig. Um, but also, you know, you've got Borussia Mönchengladbach up there as well who, who've been, who just like Bayer Leverkusen, have been very good this season. Yeah, I think they're probably the big surprise package, them and Schalke perhaps, that after a bad season, Schalke kind of come back under David Wagner. But I think Borussia Mönchengladbach, people probably didn't expect them to do as well as they're doing and Marco Rosa has done a tremendous job and I think maybe it's an exciting kind of attacking front, front tree they have at the moment that's causing problems for all sorts of teams and early in the season they were even kind of looking like they might mount a title challenge themselves so they are kind of the team to watch and maybe if you're looking for a dark horse team to watch it has good history but haven't been that successful in the past few years it could be glad back it could be the team to support if you're looking for a team. Um, we'll start our forensic look at the Bundesliga with uh, the current champions and the side currently topping the table by four points, and that's FC Bayern München. Um, Hansi Flick, as Ronan's just mentioned, has just signed a new contract there to make him the permanent manager. Um, and one of the things that I've liked about him is the trust that he's placed in uh, Alfonso Davis at left back, who has been absolutely superb in sort of all areas of his game. Um, for, for a player who came to Germany from uh, from the MLS. Who, who was a winger and, and in, has now been converted into, it's not hyperbolic to say that one of Europe's best left-backs this season at, at the tender age of 19. Yeah, I think Flick has that kind of interest in playing new players and he says it repeatedly. He kind of says that that he looked to play young players and you've seen Joshua Zorksy get some game time and a couple of goals and playing when Lewandowski's injured. So he, he is willing to give players a chance whereas maybe previous Bayern Munich coaches would have just got to the board to open the checkbook and buy new players but Alfonso Davies he was an expensive enough player and there was a lot of hype around him but I don't think many people kind of expected him to develop so quickly and maybe even to play at left back he had done a small bit for Canada but I don't think anyone would expect him to be maybe one of the top left backs in, in Europe at the moment and he just seems to develop every game and he doesn't look kind of out of touch or he doesn't look like he shouldn't be playing alongside David Alaba and players of that stature. He, it just seems so effortless to him. And if you've seen maybe his TikTok videos or something, he's just a cool character. And I think that's his persona, nothing phases him. And that's why maybe he, he just hit the ground running in, in Germany. Yeah, his TikTok is a is a good little tidbit to his personality, I think. Um, he's got a few little things on there. He seems quite like a laid-back character, but on the pitch, of course, you know, you'll see him give, with those you know quick and sharp give-and-goes down that left-hand side um, where he just races up the pitch. Um, there was the one that he did against Chelsea in the Champions League uh, where I think he got the assist for uh, for Lewandowski. And, and that, I mean, that was one of the games that, you know, you really sit up and think, you know, he's doing this in the Champions League as well as in the Bundesliga against sort of, you know, the likes of Mainz, the likes of Freiburg, the likes of Paderborn, Fortuna, Dusseldorf, the teams at the bottom. But he was doing it against the Chelsea as well, which, you know, was kind of cemented him as one of the best left backs in Europe this year. Aside from Davis, uh, there aren't too many other under-23 players playing a first-team role at, at Bayern. Um, there has been Joshua Xerxes, who's pitched in with a couple of 
decisive goals earlier this season. But I think it'll be some time before he's ousting Lewandowski from that number nine shirt, I think it's fair to say. Um, I suppose it's best to move on to the club currently occupying second place uh, nice and early because it's going to take some time to cover the protagonists at Borussia Dortmund. Um, you've got Haaland, Sancho, Hakimi, Zagadou and Reyna, and they're just the under-23s. I mean, I know it's very football hipster of me to, to have a Dortmund crush, but you know what is what has been so likeable about them this season, and especially those young players? I think maybe that's exactly it. It's the fact that Lucien Favre is, is willing to play these young players and put all his faith in young players. It's not just giving them a run out, or it's not just because he has to. These are his first-choice players at the moment, the likes of Haaland and like of Sancho. And it's a pity Sancho turned 20 just a couple of months ago because they, they had a teenage trio on attack with Reina as well. It was it was just exciting just to see maybe three teen, teenagers going at teams and, and scoring goals for fun. So I, I think that's what makes Borussia Dortmund exciting at the moment is the fact that they are so willing to put their faith in youth and it's working well for them. It's not just it's not just that they don't have money to buy players because one of the players that they bought was obviously Haaland. It's just a, a, a kind of fresh look for Dortmund and it, it's working really well for Favre at the moment. Um, Haaland's goal-scoring run after joining from from Salzburg in in January has been quite ridiculous. I mean, eleven goals in his first seven outings in all competitions. I mean, what what's been the reaction from the German media? As I'm sure there were skeptics that you know this 19 year old coming from the Austrian Bundesliga was going to get a big shock on arrival in the big leagues. But I mean, that really couldn't have been further from the case. Yeah, I think people were kind of surprised that Brush Dortmund were willing to let Paco Alcácer go and bring in Haaland, who hadn't played kind of a in a top five league I think that was the kind of big surprise there that he wouldn't be able to repeat this that he was kind of a just a flash in the pan and that the Champions League goals weren't going to be replicated at Borussia Dortmund but he just continues to go from strength to strength really and I think that's down to the, the way he plays he's just so smart on and off the ball and he just makes the runs at the right time and if you if you look at him when he played when he plays for Dortmund or when he had been playing for Salzburg the thing that stands out most is that he just arrives at the right time. He, he knows how to get himself away from defenders to peel off the defenders. And that's what gives him the kind of that special difference in the box that the likes of Lewandowski or Aguero or players of that caliber have. And he just has something where he can read the game. And maybe other forwards his age just can't, can't read it as well. And he's kind of playing like someone that's much older than he is. So he's just going to keep getting better and better, I think. Um, Jaden Sancho is another one um, who also happens to be pretty good. Um, double figures for goals and assists, you know, after 25 games, and he's only just turned 20, as you say. Do you think that with these two, you know, world class or approaching world class players in the Borussia Dortmund side, they they have a real chance of sort of toppling Bayern's dominance this year, or would you say that Bayern are just, you know, too German, too mechanic, too efficient, and you know, too destined to succeed? I think maybe if the season had continued and we didn't have this break, maybe Russia Dortmund would have had a better chance because of Lewandowski's injury. But I think because he's back, Bayern probably have a better start at 11. And as long as they're able to keep players fit, they should be able to keep getting wins. And because of the gap they have at the moment, it's probably just too much for Russia Dortmund. And I don't think Dortmund are really helped this weekend by the fact that the first game back is a, the, their biggest game in their calendar. It's, it's the game against Schalke and they don't have the yellow wall there to support them so it could be a, a tricky one to, to kind of get find your feet in, in this kind of new Bundesliga world with no fans and and all the kind of the restrictions around getting to the grounds and all that kind of stuff so it could be difficult for them to to maybe close that gap and I think they're very unfortunate that the first game back is 
is this shark a game? So I would, if I had to put money on it, and it's, a, it's obviously an easy bet, I would put money on Bayern Munich win the title again. Um, just moving further down the table, we've got uh, RB Leipzig and Borussia Mönchengladbach um, with nine games to go, who'll be hoping to hold on to their Champions League spots at the moment. Uh, they're, of course, in third and fourth. I mean, they may not be likeable, but how impressive have, have you found Leipzig under Julian Nagelsmann this season? I mean, you've got Timo Werner, who's just turned 24, scoring sackfuls, and Christopher Nkunku, who I mean, looks a completely different player now. He's been given sort of a run in a successful team as opposed to his, his bit part role that he played at PSG. I mean, just how impressive and how efficient have they been? Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there when you said they, that they weren't liked. German fans of German football don't like them, but that's because of the, the Red Bull connection. But it's hard not to like the way they play football. It's hard not to like the way Julian Nagelsmann has them playing football. And the way, like you said, that Nkunku and, and Werner and even Emil Forsberg, Poulsen, they have kind of these kind of exciting attackers that link up well and they know how to play each other, off each other and Nagelsmann knows how to switch things up. And I think that's why they're kind of in the running because they have this plan B maybe that other teams don't have because Nagelsmann is such a, a master tactician and he is bringing the best out of out of Nkunku. We saw the way he was able to, to coach Hoffenheim and they were able to get some of the players that were probably mediocre enough players to play out of their skin and then get bigger moves as a result. And I think that's what he's doing at Leipzig. Not not to put down Nkunku's talents because he looks to be a, an excellent an excellent goal maker. He just seems to put chances on, on a play for his teammates. But I think Nagelsmann is just pushing them to an extra level. And that's why you, you kind of see that Timo Werner is getting linked with teams like Liverpool. He just stepped up another gear himself this year. I mean, of course, that's just the attack. But I mean, in defence, you've got the likes of Nordi Mukiele and, and of course, Dio Pamecano, who's been trailed by pretty much every top club in Europe um, this season. Uh, and it's likely with his contract running out in 2021 that he'll probably move um, this summer if he doesn't. Uh, extend his deal there at Leipzig. But as this is a whistle-stop tour of the Bundesliga, we're going to move on to, to Borussia Mönchengladbach. And they're, of course, coached by former Red Bull Salzburg man and, and disciple of Jürgen Klopp, Marco Rosa. And he's implemented a really interesting brand of football at, at Gladbach in his first year there with with, with Marcus Turam, Alessandro Player, uh, Braylon Bolo. You know, he's got a crack team of, of striking options there. With particular focus on, on Turam and, and Mbolo, what's it been like to, to watch them this season? What's it been like to see them develop? Because, you know, Mbolo didn't really set the world alight light at Schalke, but he seems to be doing a lot better at Mönchengladbach. I think maybe he has a bit more trust at Gladbach and Rosa has given him kind of the licence to, to play the game to his style and, and make the runs, the kind of runs that he makes. And because he has players like Alessandro Pea and Marcus Turam playing alongside him in attacking, in a trio of attack, I think just the power and the strength and the kind of just the kind of interplay they have between the three, they, they kind of have that understanding maybe that that perfect trios have. And even when only two of them are playing, it, it still seems to be a success because they're, they're they're three clever players. And I think that's kind of what has freed and ball up is better sort of attacking partners, and that that's what made them kind of successful and. Why he's able to make that step up from from Schalke because he had been very disappointing there, like you said. 
Um, also at Gladbach, uh, but unfortunately injured at the moment, is Dennis Zakaria, um, who's undergone uh, knee surgery and probably won't feature in this nine-game uh, sprint to the finish at the end of the season for Gladbach. But he's been great in defensive midfield as well um, for Marco Rosa's team. Um, but moving on to fifth, sixth and seventh, uh, you've got Leverkusen, who you've already lauded for, for being quite entertaining, quite attacking this season. Uh, in sixth, you've got Schalke. Uh, and in seventh, you've got Wolfsburg. We'll start with Leverkusen, who, who've been great this year. Um, and, and they haven't, I, I wouldn't say they haven't relied on uh, Kai Havertz to do everything as well, like they may have done last season, which I, I suppose is good considering that expectation can sometimes kill young players. With with focus on, on Havertz, you know, on, on the back of last season's 17 goals in 34 games, has this season been more of sort of a steady growth of, a, of an exceptionally talented young player without sort of the spotlight of of intense expectation on him. I think maybe at the start of the season, what could have happened is the fact that he was held back a bit, maybe because he was being played out of position and maybe he was learning a kind of right wing position and, and Peter Bosch was kind of kind of testing out to see what might work best in his own attack. And as a result, Havertz probably wasn't playing his, his preferred number 10 role. And he, I think Havertz has kind of grown into that as, as the season gone on and he has been allowed to play both through the middle and on the wing and he's kind of become a smarter player as a result and you've seen it since the kind of winter break that he was able to get four goals and four assists I think it was since before the, the break and play and that, that kind of it was the way he was last season too he just seems to be a kind of a second half of the season player so if he's able to, to hit form and continue this form after this resumption of play he, he's definitely going to kind of go, from, go up another level in play and I think he has all the potential to be a top quality player, a kind of world class player, similar to the way Jaden Sancho can go on and play for a bigger team and maybe play for a team that can challenge for the Champions League. Yeah, Havertz is one that has been sort of linked with with a number of top clubs, along with the likes of Timo Werner, Jaden Sancho, Upamecano, those sorts of players. Um, uh, Schalke, they you know they're keeping pace with the with the big boys. I mean they are te- you know they are ten points um, behind Leverkusen, but in in the grand scheme of things, you know they have been the best of the rest, so to speak. Um, they've also got an interesting group um, with the likes of Jean Claude Todibo being uh, one brought in on loan from Barcelona over the January window. Um, he joined uh, Juan Miranda there from Barcelona too. Um, it's quite it's quite an interesting little partnership or unofficial partnership they've got there, Schalke and Barcelona, with you know them trusting them with two of their younger players. Um, would you say it's a, the the club is a particularly good environment for developing youngsters? And is it would you say it's perhaps something to do with David Wagner's role as Borussia Dortmund's vice coach before he took the Huddersfield job and having that sort of experience? Yeah, I think Wagner probably has a lot to do with it because he he seems to be this kind of manager who can sharpen the, the rough edges of, of these players like he did with Huddersfield he was able to, to keep them in the Premier League and get to them to the Premier League in the, in the first place he he just seems to be the, the kind of manager that'll that'll get the best out of young players maybe put the armour on the shoulder be very personal be the kind of guiding, guiding hand that Barcelona would be looking for for players like this they're obviously not going to get a chance at Barcelona so Schalke seems a perfect environment for them to learn and they'll be playing in in top games against top class opposition and maybe if if Schalke can continue the way they're playing at the moment it could be something to Barcelona continue to look at next season because they'll be playing in the Europa League as well so it, it should be an, an interesting one to keep an eye on and the two players that are there at the moment 
they just seem to, to kind of fit in. They, they seem to be the right quality player for, for Schalke. So even if they don't make it eventually at, at, at Barcelona, you could see them ending up maybe getting a move to a, a decent-sized club, to a Europa League or a Champions League club because of it. Yeah, Juan Miranda is is there on a two-year loan deal. And and despite the fact that he hasn't played an awful lot this season, you would expect that, you know, this first year was to to get him to acclimatise and to to get used to the Bundesliga um, and with a view to sort of replacing the likes of Bastian Oksipka, um, if I pronounced that correctly, uh, their, their incumbent left-back at the moment. Um, Schalke have also got the likes of Weston McKenney, um, Ozan Kabak and, and Amin Harit uh, there as well. They do have a very young side, but, I mean, who would you say you like the most for for them? Yeah, I think it's maybe Ozan Kabak. He just seems to be a, a solid, clever, well-positioned defender. And I was saying to someone on Twitter during the week that who was asking me what I thought of him. He's not going to be playing the Russia Dortmund game this weekend because he's injured. But I think he, he is the sort of he, he is the sort of solid the rock at the back in, that you need, despite the fact that He's still only he's still only in his early twenty. He par, he looks like this kind of player that's that's ready already to take the next step, and you could see him maybe taking this Sayonchu kind of path to the Premier League, the way he, he came from maybe not being hugely heralded in in the Bundesliga or, or hugely known outside of the Bundesliga, and then then making a move and and fitting in like like Sayonchu has at, at Leicester. I, I could see him maybe moving to a, a a Europa League contender in the Premier League in in the near future, just because he has that kind of that raw talent and he, he's just a, a, a clever defender, something that, that every team wants to have. It's, inter- it's interesting that you mentioned sort of his in-game intelligence there as the first thing, because the first thing that always strikes me about Kabak is his physicality. He, you know, he's, he's one of those, well, to me, he always seems like that old style will be very good in both boxes type of defender. Um, one player that at Schalke who I didn't even mention there was was Rabi Matondo, um, who's obviously uh, the Welshman who who signed from Manchester City, and I, th- I think he's kind of been there've been some unfair Sancho comparisons because of obviously a British player coming over to the Bundesliga from City, um, but I suppose in his own right he's adapted really well. Um, he's he's played a f- his fair share of minutes there and and forced his way into his side in the Bundesliga um, while still being very young himself. I mean, there's the there's the example of Adam Ola Luckman who who went to RB Leipzig initially, uh, but hasn't managed to to nail down a place there. And, and the likes of Reese Oxford at, at Augsburg. So I suppose Matondo's is is a story, uh, a successful one so far of of a British player going abroad to to the Bundesliga and and nailing down a place. Um, now further down the table, um, the more my own knowledge wanes, uh, which is where I'm going to rely on Ronan a lot more. Uh, Hoffenheim and Cologne are in ninth and tenth, um, and for, for Hoffenheim, the one player that has kind of stuck out for me this season uh, has been Christoph Baumgartner, who's been it's, it's been interesting because he doesn't seem to have a huge influence on games, but but he but he does in in terms of the fact that he he scores like six or seven goals, I think it is. But yeah, he's he's 20 years old, seems like quite an interesting prospect, attacking midfielder who sort of mimics a striker. I mean, what have you seen of him? Yeah, I think he that, that kind of description, the attacking midfielder that, that mimics a striker, kind of sums him up well because he, he seems to be this sort of versatile forward that he's played, I think, on the left wing as well as, as a number 10 as a, and as a, a traditional centre forward for, for Hoffenheim. And that, that might be because their the coach... Alfred Schreider loves kind of mixing up things and and maybe playing the strikers at right back and things like that. But it, it seems to be working well for for Baumgartner and I think he's 
he's he seems comfortable in no matter where he's playing because he he seems happy enough to pick up the ball with his back to goal and maybe maybe bring teammates into it or, or may, maybe make a driving run and when you have players that are confident looking toward goal and looking away from goal no matter what kind of pressure they're under you can kind of unlock defend defenses much more easily and i think that's why he he's been kind of relied on to to maybe be a difference maker for hoffenheim in this second half of the season when he he cemented a place in the team where he was kind of maybe in and out of it in in the first half of the season yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that Alfred Schroeder likes to mix things up because he does. I mean, you're, you're definitely right there. Robert Skov, who's their left back, um, was signed from FC Copenhagen in the summer last year. Uh, and I mean, I fully expected him to be quite a, quite a potent left winger in or right winger in in, um, in the Bundesliga. But Schroeder's have had him playing at left back all season, which which has been strange to see, but he's adapted well, um, which is which is fair enough to him. But he's another to watch out for um, in particular because he's just so good from, from dead ball situations. You know, he was Copenhagen's penalty taker. He was the free kick taker. And I think half of his 30 goals last season or near enough half, um, they, they, they were scored from free kicks and penalties. So yeah, he's a player with, with outstanding technique to say the least. Cologne, who are 10th, uh, haven't had a huge number of under-23s involved this season, um, but they have included Jan Thielmann in a handful of games. Um, he's a 17-year-old right winger and, and certainly should be kept an eye on over the coming weeks and months. Um, I haven't seen an awful lot of him. Further down the table, sandwiched between uh, Union Berlin and, and Hertha in 12th place is, is Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, however, it's, it's Hertha that I'd like to discuss out of those three in sort of the mid-table area. Um, you know, you've got the likes of Mateusz Kuna, uh, Dodi Lukibakio, Givaro Dilrosun, um, Max Mittelstedt. You know, they're all on, on Hertha's books at the moment. I mean, I, I know from looking at a lot of Bundesliga punditry over the past few weeks uh, and, and commentators on, on Twitter that Hertha are sort of viewed as a, more of a, a, a jokey, more circusy type of, of club off the pitch. Um, what have they been like on it? It's kind. Of, it's kind of hard to say what they have been like on it because they've had so so much inconsistency, and they had the, the kind of the circus that was the the Jorgen Klinsmann experience coming in for for a few weeks and months, and because I think they've changed head coaches a couple of times, and they have Bruno Labbadia making his coaching debut with the club. He's already managed probably half the Bundesliga already. It, it's kind of hard to know what what to expect for the rest of the season, but they obviously should be enough, good enough to to stay up and. They do have great talent, and you've seen before the break that Matthias Cunha looks like a tremendous signing for them. He came back from playing with the with the Brazilian Olympic qualifying team, and he, he just seemed to be the kind of missing link that they were, they needed up front. And I think he should be the one that they'll they'll rely on to to get the goals for the the, the next few games and to make sure that they can stay in the top flight and then perhaps they can look forward to next season and, and, and begin to make plans and begin to maybe go back to the drawing board because it's just it just hasn't been a good year for them. And you were hoping that Dodi Lukivacchio, like you said, was, was going to come in and do something, especially after they, they paid a lot of money for him. And he has shown kind of glimpses of it. But I don't think the coaching and having Jürgen Klinsmann there and, and, and Tekovic before it, I don't think anything really worked out for any of the players. So it's kind of, it's hard to give them an honest appraisal because you, you feel that they were held back just by everything that was going on, on off the pitch. 
Yeah, Bruno Labadia, um, I mean, he may not have the same style as Sam Allardyce, but he definitely gives off the same impression as sort of his German com- uh, comparison in terms of the, the number of Bundesliga clubs he's managed. Um, it, it must be about six or seven now, at least. Um, but now in now into the bottom five, uh, Augsburg, Mainz, Fortuna, Dusseldorf, where uh, Dodi Lukabakio made his name last season uh, while on loan from Watford. Um, and then you've got Werder Bremen and, and Paderborn in the bottom two. Um, Fortuna obviously losing Lukabakio over the summer, uh, going back to Watford and then being sold to, to Hertha uh, as, as his loan spell came to an end. Uh, and Mainz as well, they lost Jean-Philippe Bamon uh, in defensive midfield to Everton. It's probably no doubt another pronunciation I've probably messed up there. But one side who didn't lose their key player but still find themselves languishing in second bottom is Werder Bremen. And the star man in question is is Milo Rashica, who's been recently linked with, with a Premier League move, interestingly enough. Um, he's been directly involved in 11 goals, I think it is, this season. But it's probably sort of his speed and, and counter-attacking ability that is most distinctive about, about Rashica's style. I mean, what would you, what would you say is is your sort of your first impression when when watching him play for for Verde. It probably is that he's out of his depth or they're not good enough for the kind of level that he wants to play at. That that's the first thing that strikes you at, at the moment. They, they just had so many injuries during the season and it, it hasn't really helped them. And as a result, they look like they, they could be going down. And you would think with a player like him that they might be able to stay up. There are a few points adrift and they have to kind of close the gap quickly. And you, you look at Rasicha and they, you think he just is he just is too good for them and he's also been linked with RB Leipzig in the past week and Leipzig even came out and denied that they had made an agreement with him with further forum. Well I think if they, they do go down they're definitely going to lose him because like you said he is that kind of counter attacking presence and he is their most potent player. He's been involved in the most goals for the team and the most assists for the team. So when he's when he's not scoring himself he's setting up his teammates and for a for a player to still shine in a team that are doing so badly, it just kind of speaks to the, the level of talent he has. I feel like the, the sort of side that he he'd excel best in would be one where you know he he's going to play as a counter attacking outlet. You know he has that outstanding speed. I think it was earlier in the season that he made uh, Jerome Boateng look a bit silly uh, as he was breaking through and, and scored against Bayern, um, albeit in I think it was a five or six one loss. But he's also scored at, at um, against Borussia Dortmund, against Bayer Leverkusen, uh, and yes, Werder do score goals, but they also do concede a lot. Um, so I think, yeah, if they did go down, I completely echo that 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 Rashica would be would be on his way, and and rightly so. Um, finally, finishing off with a bit of Augsburg, uh, they look to be relatively safe from automatic relegation, uh, but the relegation playoff could still be a distinct possibility. Um, their, their centre-back on loan, uh, Felix Udokai, um, has been of some interest to us this year. Uh, he's, he's on loan there from, from Wolfsburg. He seems to have shown up pretty well in, in all of his defensive metrics. Not outstanding, but, but good enough uh, in sort of you know, his aerial duels, his blocks, tackles, clearances, interceptions, you know, from a statistical perspective. I, I haven't really had the chance to watch him, but in terms of his numbers, they definitely stood out as being good enough uh, to, to be a consistent Bundesliga centre half. Um, in terms of what you've seen, what you've read, what you've you know you've discussed with other other journalists, what have you heard about Udokai? And also, I'm so sorry that I've picked every uh, every difficult name in the Bundesliga to talk about today. Yeah, I think I'll just call him Felix, and that might be easier for the, for the next couple of minutes. It might be easier for both of us if we just call everyone by the first name. It could be handy. But um, from 
what I've seen, and I can understand why he has good metrics, and it's probably because Augsburg aren't a high-pressing team like many of the other teams in the Bundesliga. So as a result, I think he doesn't, he's not forced into errors, and he can kind of sit back, and he can read the game, and he, he does have that kind of that good positioning, and he picks up good positions in defence, and he sees the game happen in front of him, so he can have these, these solid st- statistical games, and he can have these solid games in general. He, he looks a confident player, and it looks like maybe if Wolfsburg will want to keep him, they will. But you wouldn't be surprised if Augsburg decided to to pull the trigger and and, and sign him on the permanent deal. I think it's like ten million euro that they can they can sign him for. And from what we've seen this season, he he looks he looks like a player that could be worth ten million euro. It's just whether Augsburg have the money or are willing to spend that kind of money on him. But he definitely looks. More comfortable than he he ever did before, and he he kind of just has developed this season, and he's still only young, obviously, because we're discussing him on this podcast. But has he has all the talent to be a, a regular Bundesliga player? Maybe not a, a top half player, but you could definitely see him for a mid table club year in year out being a, a regular starter. Yeah, one of the interesting things about Augsburg is that they've had the most touches inside their own box this season or the, the highest proportion of touches inside their own box um, out of all the Bundesliga sides. So perhaps his numbers have been augmented by that, possibly, you know, in terms of, you know, if you're doing more defending, you're going to have better defensive metrics, which I feel like a lot of the time people on, on, on Twitter, you know, where they want to compare the likes of Harry Maguire or Virgil van Dijk don't quite grasp. But yeah, I mean, he has he has shown in, in terms of his positioning that, you know, he, he perhaps could be that 10 million euro player. Um that's all we have for today. Unfortunately, there are only so many teams in the German top flight for us to discuss. Um, however, by the time you've listened to this podcast, hopefully it will have killed half an hour of your time that that brings you closer to the next Bundesliga fixture. Um, we've discussed the top players at the top sides, uh, as well as perhaps some key figures at the lesser known and, and lesser covered clubs. Um, so hopefully you're a little bit more in the know on the minerals that make up the manshafts in uh, in the Bundesliga. Um, Ronan, it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you for your insight and, and your Bundesliga expertise uh, and for taking us through sort of a, a whistle-stop tour of the, the top 18 in, in Germany. Um, it's shaping up to be quite an interesting sprint to the finish. It definitely is. And considering it's the only football that we can probably watch for the next few weeks, it it should get more eyes on it. And, and hopefully you guys will, will get to expose some of these young, young talents and, and people will see what you've been talking about for, for the last few months and years of kind of these talents that perhaps they're in the Bundesliga this year and might be in the Bundesliga next year, but maybe they're the players that are going to be in the Premier League in a few years or playing it in the Champions League and the Champions League knockout stages in the, in the next few years. Because if you look at some of the top players there in the Premier League, Firmino, Son, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, these are all products of the Bundesliga. So even if you're only sticking, turning it on this weekend just because there's nothing else on television, it's definitely worth sticking with and, and kind of seeing what other talents there are out there and keeping an eye on their progress because it, it might just be that these guys are the, the future of football, not just in Germany, but all around the world. Definitely so. I completely echo that sentiment. Um, if, if you want more Bundesliga coverage, um, then definitely do follow uh, Ronan on Twitter. Um, he's at Swear I'm Not Paul, um, but we will also be uh, putting his at into into our into our tweets and on our socials to promote this episode. Um, but yes, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've been listening to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, I've been Joe Donahue, joined by Ronan Murphy, uh, Bundesliga journalist. Thank you. Bye for now. <laughs>